Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, aliens in Alaska. That's correct, aliens in Alaska. Now, the article that I'm referring to in the video, I have a link to them at the website ufowarning.com. That's ufowarning.com. And I really encourage you to go there to the website and watch this video. It's possibly one of the best short version UFO documentaries I've seen in years. They really nail it. There's uh, just a professionalism. The documentary relies on these eyewitness accounts and I have to tell you, it's compelling. And they really, uh, they really take a look at what we often don't talk about in UFOlogy, and that's the dark side of the UFO phenomena. Now, the first case, there's four separate cases they go through. Three of them are just super fascinating. The first one, it, the subject is Roger McCarty. Now, this gentleman appears to be maybe late 60s, early 70s, and he's just your stereotypical rugged outdoorsman Alaskan. He talks about how 22 years ago, this would have been, this would have been 1999, because this article comes out, it looks like uh, the video was published on Discovery Plus back in April of 2021. Uh, I couldn't find a copy on YouTube, but like I said, there is a link to the video uh, on on the site that I'm quoting from here, which is uh, www.latestufosightings.net. And I've linked to that on the website, ufowarning.com. So you can go there and watch the video yourself. But he, basically what happened is Mr. McCarty's living out in the Yukon at post office box, you know, middle of nowhere, Ruby, Arkansas. Now this, Arkansas, Alaska, literally... If you've been to Alaska or seen pictures, Alaska is so cool. I mean, I, I was there many years ago. Basically, the difference between Alaska and any other state is in Alaska, you can just be driving along any road, step out of your car, and three feet off the path, you are in wilderness. I mean, you may encounter a bear uh, fishing for salmon the same way you are. I mean, the wildlife is right there. The wilderness is right there. And the dangers, of course, of living in the wilderness are right there. So here Mr. McCarty is. He's living up in Alaska by himself <laughs> out in this remote cabin near the Yukon River. And this is central Alaska, and he's hunting and trapping. And he describes how he was a little bored one night, so he decides to get up. He couldn't sleep, so he decides to get up and go out wolf hunting. Yes, decides to go out wolf hunting by himself in the middle of the night. That kind of gives you an idea about the kind of people that live in Alaska. All right? On the scale of fearlessness, on the scale of 1 to 10, these guys are about 11 or 12. He decides to get up in the middle of the night by himself, take his snowmobile out, and do a little bit of wolf hunting. Wow! I mean, this dude's bigger than life. Anyway, he's out 
fall on the trail, and he sees a bright light. Oh my, it wasn't the northern lights that he spotted either. And he starts to get a little suspicious about things. Well, you know, the guy's out wolf hunting at 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of Alaska by himself in the dark in winter. Uh, he must have pretty good spider detection senses, let's put it that way. At any rate, he decides to head back to the cabin. And on the way back, I mean, I'm just imagining this in my head, man. I would be so freaked out. On the First off, I wouldn't be out there by myself hunting wolves in the middle of the night, okay? And I wouldn't be out there by myself in Alaska in the middle of the night. But there he is. I mean, this guy's out there hunting wolves. He sees this bright light. And that bothers him a little bit because this is way beyond the pale of anything that should be showing up out there in the middle of the wilderness. So he heads back to the cabin and he feels this sharp sting in his leg. And like he's been like he's been hit with something. Well, he gets back to the cab and he finds out that he has. He notices this sore along his left leg where something has penetrated his skin. Like the size of a BB. It's as if somebody shot him with a with a pellet gun or something. He talks about how he lays down in the bed and it seems like he's kind of maybe slipping out of consciousness. He thinks he feels like he's gone to sleep. In the middle of this, he begins to have a dream. And boy, haven't we heard this story before. And in the dream, he describes how he imagines, I don't think it was imaginary to me, this actually happened physically, says he levitated through the cabin, out the front door, up in the air, and flew across the sky. He describes vividly how he looked down, you know, from this high altitude, and looked like what he thought was probably Seattle, turned west, across the vast expanse, you know, of the, of the continental United States, spotted what he thought was Chicago, and then on east to what he thought was New York, and then across what he describes as the empty blackness of the Atlantic Ocean, and the next thing you know, he's in this room. Well, spaceship, whatever you want to call it, and he's on a table, and he's cold. Well, what do we see here? We see the same thing in these stories that we see every single time. Someone just out minding their own business. In this case, this particular really rugged individual is out hunting, doing his thing, man versus nature. And he's kidnapped. Literally. First off, he's assaulted by these things, whatever they are. He ends up with this implant in his leg. We'll get to that later. And then he's literally kidnapped, physically removed from his home and put aboard this craft. And it's almost like they're letting him see these cityscapes in this great country as a way to intimidate him. I have to say, this reminds me of the temptation of Christ when it says that Satan took Jesus up to, up to the uh, uh, temple or the mountain or whatever and said, look at this, if you just worship me, you can have it all. It's like this, it's like this attempt to somehow make us worship them. That's what I'm trying to get at here. It's this need to be worshipped. And this is a thing that concerns me so much about this phenomena. Is that it's not like we're being contacted by some creature with a superior intelligence. Although they may well be superiorly intelligent. I mean, what would that take this day and age? But it's almost as if they want to put on the trappings of this otherworldly being and to let us know. You know, to let us know that they are the ones in charge. That's the feeling you get. 
Anyway, poor old Roger's on this operating table, and apparently the normal stuff that happens, you know, when these when these monsters abduct somebody happens to Roger. It's about a 10-minute interview in the documentary. I feel like there must have been much, much more that happened. But what one of the things that really... Uh, that really got my attention and caused me concern was he described that there were other people there around him. Other people around him. And every so often, it seems like, generally speaking, what happens is when you read these abduction stories, the person's abducted, they're on this table, these uh, whatever kind of horrible-looking aliens do whatever kind of experiments they do on them. And, but the person is so traumatized, they really don't get past themselves. But every once in a while, you'll come up with these uh, witness testimonies, these experiencers, where they've actually say they've witnessed other human beings on the craft. Man, you got to wonder, are those the unlucky ones that didn't make it back? I mean, the, the thought that there could be people, people like us, on these crafts, I have to tell you, it's very, very disturbing to me. Anyway, he comes back to the cabin, and that's pretty much the end of it. But he has this nagging sensation that this thing in his leg is an implant of some kind, and that it's producing uh, radio uh, transmissions. And then it goes on. Apparently, he watched the one of the shows with Dr. Lear, the late Dr. Lear, uh, taking these implants out and describing, you know, what they, you know, what they think they do as far as tracking people, and he's, he finally came to the conclusion that I need to have that done. So his experience had happened. He said 22 years ago. That would have been like 1999 or something, right? So they follow him through the documentary. He goes into uh, the local uh, health clinic there, doctor's office, whatever it is, and the doctor uh, introduces himself, Doctor Van Raven's way, I think, and he seems like a pretty cool young guy with an open mind. And they they bring uh, Mister uh, McCarthy in there, or McCarthy, and he he examines his leg and he says, "Yeah, it feels like there's something there." And so he says, "Well, let's do an X-ray." And they do the x-ray, and they show all this in the documentary, and it's all done, you know, they do the x-ray, and, the pic- and the, of course the x-ray pictures, whatever you call them, are sent remotely to another place, and he's on the conversation with the radiologist, and the radiologist explains, yes, there is something there, kind of a pellet-shaped object in his leg. Okay, fine. Well, Ray's like, let's get this, let's get this thing out of here. But he says, I want to see, I want you to test this thing, what the radio frequency is doing. And the doc shows him, you know, what the rate is around the room, and he's rattling the numbers off, and then he puts this thing over his one leg, the one leg that's not implanted, and it has like a normal reading, and then he puts it over where the implant's at, and the needle goes berserk. I mean, it's like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% higher than normal. The doctor looks very, very puzzled, and just repeatedly says, well, I don't know why it is, I can't figure it out, blah, blah, blah. Getting the point, they show the operation. It's not in very deep. It's just just basically under the skin. So the doctor uh, pretty quickly gets this thing cut out of there. And uh, I was looking, um, thinking perhaps uh, he would have some of the same experiences the doctor used to have, where the where the implant would kind of squiggle away or whatnot. But it didn't. He got it out, 
and um, gets his leg patched up and the radio transmission's gone. Now, the only part that I missed in the doc that I wish they would have included was they didn't show, at least, whether or not they tested the implant itself once they had it isolated. But the whole thing was just riveting. You have this really reliable, down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy who has this alien implant. Whether you think it's alien from... Uh, planet Earth or planet whatever, it's alien. It's not supposed to be there. He's out in the middle of Alaska, literally by himself, in a place where there are no roads at 3 o'clock in the morning on a snow machine, and he gets injected with this implant. There is no explanation for that that works for me. You know, there were no devil-worshipping homicidal cow tippers out there looking for cows to slaughter and mutilate that night. They just happened to settle on uh, Ray McCarthy as a substitute. Okay, That all the made-up narratives that would normally come into play here, there were no drones around that happened to see Mr. McCarthy on a snow machine and decided just to blast him with a pellet for no, that happens to put off radio frequencies for no good reason. I mean, this stuff cannot be explained. The easiest explanation for this is that some sort of devious, my opinion, devious, alien force, entity, whatever, implanted this poor fellow with an implant that's stuck in his leg for the next 22 years and now he got it cut out. And not only that, they broke into his house, absconded with him, kidnapped him, took him on board their craft and assaulted him for who knows how long, and then returned the next morning. That's what it seems like. But I guess he was one of the lucky ones because he tells us that he saw other people on that craft. And they weren't so lucky because they weren't back home. You know what? None of this, no story like this was included with your little Goldilocks fairy tale that you got from the deep state Pentagon last year on the UFO disclosure. Tom DeLong is not talking about this stuff, believe me. Tom can tell you that he saw things that made him so upset he couldn't sleep for three days, but he won't tell you about them. This is the kind of stuff that makes people so upset they don't sleep for three days. When they see this, and then they see the proof to go along with it, and then they're like, oh my, what are we dealing with here? Something on the scale of good to evil. That's the kind of thing that we have to keep keep an open mind about this. I know Dr. Greer out there, he thinks that all the aliens are good and that anything evil is some sort of man-made deep state creation. I don't know. It has to prove itself to me that it's not evil before I believe it's good. And what happened to Mr. McCarthy? This poor fellow out there riding around on his snow machine hunting wolves at 3 o'clock in the morning just doing his own thing, being an outdoorsman. To be attacked like that and implanted to be tagged like a wild animal, and then to be kidnapped out of your own home, taken on board this craft, and abused in who knows what kind of manner, doesn't sound like something that comes from a place of goodness to me. Now, they had another uh, they had another uh, segment on there, and uh, it was basically just about people citing the UFOs. It's funny, you know, 
some people have a simple sighting, not even a seriously up-close sighting, but just the formation of UFOs in the sky, the orbs darting around to where they had to say, this is not drones, okay? The, and the one, the one of the ladies, it was a, a couple by the name of Jeff uh, Eritim, I think, and his girlfriend or wife, Melissa, and they're just talking about, she, she had this experience with her friend, they saw these UFOs, she was so freaked out about it, she had to call her other friend, who is a licensed drone operator, and say, hey, you weren't out flying your drone tonight, were you? And the gal says, well, of course not. I don't fly my drone at night. I like this little segment uh, because it shows how far people will reach sometimes to explain things. It seems like the human condition uh, prevents us from dealing with the unknown. For some people, it's just impossible for them to say, well, I don't know. They're not that the idea of not knowing what something is, of not being able to put it into a category, it creates a lot of cognitive dissonance in their mind, and they just can't deal with it. So they're just they're scrambling for what it might be. But what I liked about this segment was, it just came down to the fact that there are some things that we just don't know. We can speculate. We can develop some pretty we can develop some pretty heartfelt ideas or some pretty strongly held beliefs. But actually, we don't know, you know, as far as just knowing what it is as, as in the same way we know what time it is or what day of the week it is. Now, they had another segment on here, which I also found really fascinating. They had some dark stuff going on in Alaska. This was about a family, three generations of people, that lived in a town called Toke, Alaska. T-O-K is how it's spelled. And it's over there uh, near the Yukon. It's on the west central side of the state near kind of the Canadian or the Yukon border. It involved a, uh, a mother, a son, and a grandson, basically. And they're the, they're the Sumars. Now, it starts off uh, with Martha, the mother's experience she'd had. Uh, must have been back in the late, 60s, early 70s. And she looked to be like she's probably about, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s. She described how she's driving along the highway, the Alaska Highway actually, and she saw what she thought was an owl along the side of the road. Now, it turns out it, it actually wasn't an owl, she says, because she noticed that it had a tail. Oh, excuse me? It looks like an owl with a tail? That might freak you out a little bit. I thought that was so fascinating because, you know, the owl itself is so often associated with uh, occult symbology. Uh, you know, if you've watched Alex Jones stuff at all, you know, back in, what, like the 90s or whatever, he broke into um, whatever that cove is out there where all the big shots meet in the summertime and filmed their uh, cremation of care ceremony. And there's this giant owl uh, altar that they did this fake um, sacrifice thing on. Really creepy, actually. But the owl so often comes up in mythology, in the occult symbol of wisdom. Uh, some folk tells say, hey, if you see an owl during the daytime, that means someone's going to die. I mean, all kinds of stuff associated with the owl. And here she sees this owl, this thing she describes as an owl, perched along the road, and she must have almost felt like this thing was stalking her. Because she says right as she approached her, went by, an eagle swooped down out of the sky, and she felt like that eagle 
was a good omen that was protecting her. She says, you know, the eagles are to, they're here to protect us or whatever, which it seems like, you know, and the eagle is a symbol of protection. Uh, you know, over and over you, you read about the eagle in the Bible. You read about the eagle as a symbol of our country. And so oftentimes we associate the eagle with strength and goodness and justice. Very, very uh, compelling experience that this woman had. Now, her son had an experience, I guess about five years later. He says, I believe he was about, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. You can watch the video. It's, it is linked at ufowarning.com. Get over there and watch it. This thing is fascinating. The son says he was riding home. He was a kid, and he's now probably in his 50s, I suppose. He's riding home from his friend's house. That almost seems like a risky behavior to me in Alaska, riding a bicycle down a country road, right? <clears throat> Given all the wildlife up there. Anyway, as he's riding along, he notices something in the woods off to the right, the timber there. And he sees it at the first split second, he thought maybe it was a black bear. But he realizes that it's walking upright. And he clearly points out that the legs were longer than the front legs. The back legs were longer than the front legs. You know, you can tell these people from Alaska that they're interviewing. These are people that live in the wilderness. They are aware of their surroundings. They're making mental notes of what's happening. They are situationally aware. Hyper-situationally aware. You know, when I was there 30 years ago, we talked to a guy and he said, be careful where you walk, don't get off the trail because they have these, I don't know if you want to call them seeps or sinkholes everywhere. And he said, if you step in one of those things, it's like going into quicksand. You'll be gone. And there were posters of missing people all over the place. And Alaska could be a very dangerous place to do something as simple as going hiking. Okay, It's not just the wildlife you got to be aware of. It's, it's just the ground itself. So this fellow, Mr. Sumar, was very aware of his surroundings. And he immediately ascertained that the back legs were longer than the front legs. And he says it was loping, like kind of like a gorilla would. But he said there are no gorillas in this country. He's right about that. And he didn't even call it a Bigfoot. I think he recognized that this was some sort of, I mean, have to assume spiritual or some kind of metaphysical apparition. And he did not find it to be a good thing that he saw it. He described himself as a chosen one, chosen to survive, as opposed to the ones I suppose that aren't. Kind of makes you think about Mr. McCarty. He's chosen to be returned to his house as opposed to those poor souls that were stuck on that ship wherever it was at, for however long they were there. I don't know, a very scary thought. Now, his son had a similar experience. Uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, the young man's probably in his 20s, and he describes how him and his, him and his uh, cousin were riding on a four-wheeler, and as they kind of just puttered along, they looked off to the side of the road, just about the same exact spot where his dad had had his experience, they determined later, was a similar creature standing there in the woods. He said first he noticed these two bright lights, like fire, but it was the eyes of this thing. Now this is something that we hear from time to time when people discuss Bigfoot encounters, these almost supernatural glowing eyes. To me, they're almost like a supernatural demonic and glowing eyes. It's as if they're there to instill fear in the viewer. And then he describes how it turned and as they decided to beat feet and you know put the throttle on a pretty good click and get out of there, he looked back and noticed this thing gliding through the woods. Gliding. 
He said it was just passing through the trees and their branches weren't even moving. Passing through the trees and their branches weren't even moving. Now this gets back into this whole metaphysical thing of Bigfoot. So often we hear about these things, you know, occasionally someone maybe has shot one, but the bullet doesn't seem to do anything, or it just makes like a big blast and then that thing disappears. These things seem to show up. They have a they have a knack for knowing where the game cameras are at. They kind of appear and disappear. And not so often a physical way. I think if they exist, they have to be some sort of metaphysical creature where they're either coming in between dimensions, or whether there's some spiritual component to it, whatever this thing is, it's not like us. And he talks about it gliding through the timber without knocking any of the branches off. And this brought a very, uh, really a clenching thought to my mind. So often when we read about these missing person cases that David Blytus has done such a great job talking about, they describe how the victims are found, and they look as though they have run through the timber, the forest, at high speed and been slapped across the body and face with these sharp sticks. Some of them have eyes gouged out, uh, pieces of branches stuck in their face. And they just can't imagine how somebody could be running that fast and physically do this much damage to themselves. And I've always thought they weren't running, they were carried. They weren't running, they were carried. And this would explain the whole thing to me. If you have one of these metaphysical characters, he doesn't have to be leaving tracks unless he wants to leave tracks to let you know he was there. Otherwise, these monstrous things are carrying their victim through through the, the environment, the timber, the woods, whatever. And while they're passing through that, these branches having no effect on them, okay? The poor victim is just being beaten to death. Because they're not metaphysical, they're still human, but they're being carted along by this metaphysical creature, which is impervious to penetration. That's what came to my mind. It just all clicked. I think these, that's why I think that these encounters seem to be so honest and accurate, in my opinion. They just seem have such a touch of realness to them, and they bring out such a dark side of this whole UFO phenomenon. It doesn't surprise me that video is not on YouTube or it's not promoted constantly because it doesn't go along with the fairy tale, fairy tale narrative that we're so often inundated with. Now there was one last one last little short part of the documentary there that I want to cover and this involves uh, happening around Anchorage and apparently now for 15 years or so they've had these uh, sounds, the Anchorage groan or the Anchorage sound they call it. I have a link there from a YouTube video that you can go to ufowarning.com and you can listen to it. And it is this kind of hideous, otherworldly groaning sound that's produced. And these sounds uh, have been coming and going um, for the last several years now. People will happen to be outside listening, and a, a lot of people have recorded them. And that doesn't sound like anything nice, okay? In the documentary, they interview some people that have actually experienced this. Uh, the one gal said she definitely did not think it was be, it was a good thing if she was the one that was chosen to hear this. She was very, I think, uh, ill at ease and upset that she had had the experience at all. But she was kind enough to share her audio clips she'd made, and they were just like all the others that have been made for the past 15 years. 
You know, it's not as if one person is trying to prank us. It's just strange phenomena that's happening. Now, they interviewed a gal who's some kind of a sound expert, musician. And she explained something I kind of already knew. But she explained how this sound has a disconsonance to it. And so I think they call it the black keys on the piano. Where uh, she said in music they call it uh, the devil Diablo, or the Diablo music or Diablo keys. I don't know. Someone listening knows more specifically than I do, but it's the devil's music or the devil's sound. And it's that strange kind of horror movie horror movie music type, you know, that plink, 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 that's just so irritating. And by the way, that disconsonance, if you do a little research, you'll find out that is so much of the modern music, and I'm not trying to be political here, but so much of the rap music, it is that disconsonant tone that predominates the music, as opposed to the melodic music that so many of the older people like myself grew up with. And you have to wonder, why are so many young people so confused and so unhappy? And they listen to this garbage all day long. But back to the point, she made a really good argument for you know what this stuff does and how it sounds. And basically it's just something that's used to put fear in somebody. Something that's used to create a sense of foreboding as if we're being warned, maybe herded. And you know, that was the overall thing that I got from every one of these stories. It's like, whoever did this documentary didn't try to spice things up and dress them up. It wasn't about ancient aliens, how great aliens are, and they came here, you know, 10,000 years ago and tweaked our DNA and made us all wonderful, and they're coming back to save us. It just said, this is the experiences that these people had, whether it was a person being hunted down in the woods and implanted with that, implanted and kidnapped and abducted, like Mr. McCarty, or these three Sumar family members who had each had these very dark uh, encounters with these uh, metaphysical, paranormal creatures. Or the folks in Seward had seen these lights they couldn't explain. Or this really awful, disconsonate sound that just keeps moaning and trying to take away the peace of the people that live in Anchorage, Alaska. All four of these very negative, very negative, really, experiences. But at the same time, very fascinating. It's like we need, we need to be adult we need to have an honest pursuit of the truth, and we really need to consider all the facts. And I thought this, I thought this documentary did such a good job at doing that, of just putting the truth out there without trying to varnish it or dress it up or express any opinions they had about it. They just told it like it was. They told it like this in the way they found it, which was so refreshing on so many levels. Anyway. Uh, I can't say enough good things about the documentary. It's a short documentary. I don't know, maybe 30 minutes tops. I have a link at the website, ufowarning.com. You know, so few people go to the website. I might get a dozen people a day or something. If you're listening to the program now, and I know we get a few thousand listens on, on every broadcast, sometimes a lot more, and that's just in the first week or so, go to the website, ufowarning.com, link to this video, and watch it. It is absolutely spellbinding. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over now.